2: Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel
3: Marcotti. And we thank you for joining us on this lovely Thursday morning with signal failures on the district line. <laughs> in the studio with us, it's The Times Chief Stats Officer Bill Edgar in full uniform. And down the line from the lovely haven that is Rippenden, it's Ollie Kay. Later on, we'll be discussing the first major showpiece final of the season really we're talking about the fa cup final so early oh no no of course it's it's the league cup that's a big final and we'll be checking into newcastle's warm weather training camp with who else george colkin
2: but we start with a pivotal game at the top of the Premier League. Liverpool travel to Old Trafford to face Manchester United on Sunday. If Jurgen Klopp's men avoid defeat, they will return to the top of the table. Ollie, everyone associated with United knows this is a chance to severely dent Liverpool's title hopes, doesn't it?
4: Well, yes, absolutely. I think um if you if you go back to 2012 when they were so desperate to um, you know so desperate not to see City end their uh, long long wait for a the league title but i think united fans now would um certainly um regard man city as, as a lesser of two evils and obviously Tot- tottenham is uh, preferable to either but it's you know you cannot underestimate the desperation at old trafford and that includes staff members that i've spoken to and um and so on to see liverpool go longer without winning the title they don't want to see liverpool Win the title. They'd, they'd rather see Vincent Company lift the league title again um, than than see than see Liverpool win it. And and it's similar, really, to the the sort of atmosphere that existed, um, you know, through the eighties and and early nineties when Manchester United went more than quarter of a century um, without winning it between sixty seven and ninety three. That makes twenty six years. Um, and there was the, the the match at the end or towards the end of the 1991-92 season which looked like the season when united would would end that long wait and um united lost at Anfield in in late April to to kill off their hopes completely and I, I think obviously it's much earlier in the season now it's it's February rather than late April but uh, you know that united fans will will be wanting their team to Strike a hammer blow to Liverpool's hope because because it means a lot to them to to see Liverpool's weight go on
5: it's just historically, United, you say they went so long, 26 years waiting for the league and it was Liverpool who were dominating all that time, they, you know, so they built up this annoyance among United fans over all, all that time and, um, and as you say 1992 uh, when Liverpool killed off United's hopes also in 1999 Liverpool drew at home to United near the end of the season uh, it looked like it might have stopped United winning the league then, so uh, I think United fans have stored that up and uh, it'll all come out on on Sunday
2: Bill Young doesn't actually have a very good record at Old Trafford he's never won has he
5: no he hasn't and uh, Liverpool's uh, recent record at Old Trafford is quite poor the, of the last 12 um they've only won once lost nine and drawn two so uh when, when, when Bill
3: says that he's not looking at his papers he actually knows yeah, this yeah uh, like I
5: can confirm this. Yeah, no, Liverpool's record at Anfield against United recently is, is a bit better. I haven't got the figures exactly, but it's certainly better than that. But uh, yeah, uh, United would like nothing better than to, to win. I mean, it, Liverpool have struggled a little bit away to the big teams in the last year or so. So, um, so yeah, it's, all, it, it's such a huge game. They're talking about psychologically You could argue this is the most important remaining game for Liverpool, the the toughest. But if they win that, will uh, will that set them on course to win the league? I I don't know. I just see Manchester City. They just seem a a team who just don't lose their nerve. I just haven't seen them lose their nerve at all, really, in the last almost two seasons. Uh, So I I can't imagine them caving in because they're, they're a game behind or they're six points behind. I think they'll just continue to play at their... Optimum level, so um, so even if Liverpool do win, I wouldn't say that's you know that's them on on the on the road to the Ollie, title.
3: F- focusing on, on on Liverpool a little bit, as you know, I'm one of those people who believes in performances more than results in terms of being indicators of future results. And as pointed out, I thought Liverpool really since the City game they kind of continually played badly, and you know they beat Brighton and, and they beat Palace. Uh, and then they got those two draws, and then to be fair, I thought they they, they were very good against against Bournemouth at home. And I watched the game on uh, you know in, in, in the Champions League, and I thought obviously all those defensive absences were mitigating factors, and I'm sure it had an impact uh, on the midfield. But I thought the midfield was was fine. I thought there was an issue with Salah, who I think really had a really is having actually a tough period. And um, Firmino was had his virus. I, we hope he's better. But um,
4: is there another issue with with the front three,
3: or am I overplaying this? No,
4: I, I don't think you are um, overplaying it. I think it was widely accepted, recognised at the start of the season, really that. Um they rarely had a game where all three of them were clicking at once. They had games where Firmino was very good, Salah was very good, Mane was very good, but they they haven't clicked as a trio in the same way all season. I would say, except for perhaps that that run of games in, in December, you know, probably peaking with a with a game against Arsenal um, and a game against Newcastle, where, where they where they really did click. But I, I would say, all, all three of them are, are finding it a little bit harder this season, whether it's teams. Preparing better for them and, and giving Salah less space. I suspect so. I mean, I thought Bayern played him brilliantly Tuesday night. I, th- I thought that I thought Bayern defensively were very very good. Liverpool had a really good sort of twenty minutes or so before half time, but otherwise you would say their front three were kept very quiet in a game that they largely controlled. So that's that's a, a concern. I think teams have got a bit smarter to them, not leaving as much space behind and so on but it's i think i think it's legitimate to say that the three of them aren't um aren't firing on all cylinders uh Mane's probably been the pick of the three at times this season for me now others um but yeah i think um i think Salah is probably dual performance if you can put it that way it doesn't always work out that way um but um yeah i think um klopp will be looking for looking for more from him
2: what have we seen tactically, do you think, from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that will make things difficult for Liverpool? He's,
5: I mean, obviously the main change for Mourinho, players look forward and they have forward passing options. He, he seems to have quite a, a settled a settled team. He, he goes with a, a 4-3-3 and it's Herrera, Matic and Pogba every time. I mean, it, you know, by a mile, that's his uh, favoured uh,
3: midfield approach um can I just ask Because Mourinho played those three guys a lot yeah too yeah and then it wouldn't work I know he'd immediately change it to something else right because as I'm, people no doubt bring it up bring up shortly if plan A isn't working you need to change things around move to plan B you can't make like for like substitutions why, why did it, was it not working I mean are they if it's the same three guys Why was it not working before? Is it the I people mean, in front? Is it I, them? Is it, the, is I it mean, like the, Mourinho? The obvious thing
5: is just that the United are just more positive And I really think it suits Pogba, uh, to be on the front foot constantly, just to be looking forward, to have forward, forward options when, uh, I mean, Pogba the, the best player and he gets very frustrated when there's no, nothing on, there's nothing, there's no, there's one person ahead of him who's surrounded by three or four defenders. I think they got quite dispirited. I mean, um, it's fairly simple, really. Uh, they're just playing more positively and Solskjaer's not really had apart from the PSG result not really had a setback yet so we'll have to see what he does if uh, they say lose a couple of domestic games in a row would he change things
2: This season with your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League it's just £8 for an 8 week trial Now every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teasers for you and here is one for you on this very podcast. Premier League pitches are required to be 105 metres by 68 metres unless the stadium is too small to allow for that size of pitch. Name the five, five current Premier League clubs whose pitches are smaller than the standard size. Five seems like quite a lot.
3: Okay, so you assume... Small grass, small stadium, and old stadium, right? Yeah. So I would assume one is Bournemouth. Yes. I would assume Craven Cottage, perhaps. Oh yes, that's a good one. It's so, not like you can expand into the river, not yet. No, anyway.
2: No. Well, Southwest I, Park. I was, to, I was about to say Crystal Palace, maybe.
3: Yeah. So that's three.
2: What
3: about so, not West Ham? Not Spur- <laughs> Spurs. Spurs don't have a ground. Is
2: that, I don't know about
3: Goodison. Goodison. I believe Goodison is the oldest Premier League ground mm. in the country. Is it? You can answer that question. Is it, Bill?
5: Turf Moor has been going since 1882 or something.
3: Why don't we go with those five? Was Burnley, that five? Did we Burnley, five? yeah. Burnley, Everton, Bournemouth, uh, Palace and Fulham. Okay. You got the five, right? You'll tell us at the end whether we were correct. All right.
2: You can stick around until the end of the podcast to find out the answer. The first major silverware of the season will be decided at Wembley later on Sunday. Manchester City, the League Cup holders, defend their trophy against Maurizio Sarri's Chelsea. City warmed up for the final by coming back from 2-1 down with 10 men to win 3-2 at Schalke last night in the Champions League. And before we move on to the Carabao Cup final, VAR was a lot more prominent last night in the Champions League and it wasn't the smoothest of operations. People really weren't happy with the delays. What do you make of it?
3: The VAR spoke to the referee and said, did you get a clear view of the handball? Because you might want to look at it again.
5: It was given as a corner. Yeah,
3: Yeah, so he saw the contact, but he didn't have a clear. And he basically said, you know, was it deliberate? Sure. What, What did you think? There were two issues with the delay. One was the pitch side monitor not working. The other one was the fact that the players kept surrounding him continuously, which, I don't know, for me, I kind of wish, like, he'd, started booking some dudes because it's frankly ridiculous. You know, the, wh- why are you shouting at him? You know, the, the just, 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 wait, you don't know what the decision, you know, you haven't seen the pictures and you don't know what the decisions are going to be. When he called the two captains over, it was to tell them that the pitch side monitor wasn't working. And that's why the decision was taking so long. It's technology. Sometimes technology breaks. Referees on the pitch do not need to, do, according to the protocol, they don't need to go and look at it themselves to have an on-field review. However, UEFA's chief of referees, Rossetti, has has urged them to do that in every situation where it's objective for for pretty obvious reasons, and they really should. The problem with this guy is that he couldn't because there was no pitch side monitor to look at, and so he went with the decision made by the VAR, which people will say, well, what's he supposed to do with his arm? I think most referees and people who understand the protocol— and who understand how football is refereed these days, particularly in Europe and particularly in Spain, which is where this referee was from and his VAR crew was from, are not surprised that that was given as a penalty. I'm curious, just, just on the incident itself, Oli. If, if that had happened in a Premier League game, if that had been, you know, Fraser hitting the ball rather than Caliguri at Otamendi, and the penalty had been given, would you find the decision scandalous? Or would you go down the pep route and say, like, actually was a pen.
4: The handball rule is so subjective and there's been this thing recently about, oh, let's let's, um, uh, amend it so that any ball to hand, whether it's deliberate or not, in the penalty area becomes a penalty and, and that removes the ambiguity. But there is still such an ambiguity about it. It's still so subjective and I thought that was one that you could easily give against the team and they will think, oh, that is outrageous. If you had that shot and it hit the, the opponent's hand, and it wasn't given, you'd think, well, that's outrageous. It's so unhelpful, this, this vagueness about the rule. And it's so I, I think when you've got VAR, and it still comes down to a sort of subjective interpretation of something that the, the referee has seen at the time, and he thought it wasn't a penalty, I don't think it was the clear and obvious error that VAR was originally introduced for I still, st- I'm struggling with the AR. I like, I, I wanted to enjoy, I wanted to like it, I wanted to enjoy it, and think, yeah, this is really, um, this has really helped the whole process. But to me, I think there's so many problems with it in terms of the, the, the it's the subjectivity of, of so many of these decisions. And I think those subjective ones are very hard to accept once it's gone to a video. That it's still a debatable decision that, that the referee makes. I,
3: I think. So, I, looks, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you, and that's why it's critical. I think that the referee be the one with the final say and do the on-field review, which, which obviously didn't happen here for for reasons beyond his control. On the point of, of the rule uh, being vague, I think it's worth noting that while the laws of the game say deliberate handball, the directives given to referees by UEFA and, and individual leagues. They, they basically provide a framework to determine whether it should be viewed as deliberate. Obviously, one of those things is whether the hands are away from, are, are away from the body and, and whether, whether there's an attempt to, to, to move the arm away, which you could argue in this case there, there certainly was, whether there's an advantage gained as well because sometimes the ball might cannon off a defender's arm and then he clears it away, and then the opposition get the ball and still score, then you know you wouldn't stop it for a penalty there. So all these things come into it. One thing that I just wanted to clear up, though, because I saw some people talking about this last night, is when people say, like, well, but if you look at, at it in slow motion, every incident will appear as deliberate. They're very aware of that, and that's why they look at it in slow motion to determine if there was if there was contact, but the decision about whether it's deliberate or not is always made at regular speed. So they still look at the replay from multiple angles, but they don't, they, they make the decision of, of whether, of, of whether these, these, this, this deliberate framework applies. They do that based on looking at the pictures at, at normal speed.
2: So the Carabao cup final then, and uh, Manchester city, of course, won it last season. That was their first trophy under Pep. And then they went on to win the title billet. It is a trophy that often drives sides on to title triumphs.
5: We've had FA Cup uh, and League doubles uh, in 2002 and 2010. they were the last two, but the League Cup League doubles are becoming much more common. So, uh, um, so yes, as you say, you know, the team wins in February and it maybe gives them a boost uh, towards the end of the, the, the season um, I think they've certainly uh, 2014 Man City did league and league cup Chelsea in 2015 then Man City last year did it, uh, Man United in 2009 did it so um, yes it, it could well happen again
2: And we all know what happened the last time City faced Chelsea 6-0 at the Etihad a fortnight ago do you think overconfidence Ollie, could be an issue for City on Sunday? Um, not
4: really. I think I think their their confidence seems to be pretty well pretty well founded uh, these days. They they they've got supreme confidence in each other and in the in the way they play and in their game plan. And most of the players are, are in terrific form. Um, and I think they never seem to be a team who are guilty of complacency or arrogance. They've lost games at times, but you know, even if you go back to the game that they lost at Stamford Bridge in uh, December. They still dominated the game. It wasn't like they underestimated Chelsea or anything like that. And I think it's probably easier to underestimate Chelsea now, but it's um no, I, I, w- I wouldn't think there'd be any issue at all with City's attitude on um on Sunday. I think I think their attitude is usually spot on.
3: Oh, it's interesting you say that because I would tend to agree with you that they probably won't be complacent. Um but I think part of it is because they were pretty sloppy and complacent against Schalke. And I think that's what Pep was driving at after the game when he said, we're not ready to go deep uh, in, into the latter stages of this competition with this attitude. And it's one of those quotes that had it been a different manager and had it been a different team that was doing badly and had they lost a game, we in the media would have gone out and we would have been hammered. It would have been tabloid headlines saying like, oh, well, look, you spent billions and billions and it's your job to make sure they're ready and why aren't they ready, Pep, blah, blah, blah. But instead, because of the way this game ended and City getting the three points, you know, we're not having that conversation. And I think he sort of exaggerated a little bit, but it did look to me like a team that, you know, against the shocker side that, yeah, they had a lot of guys behind the ball and were pretty organized, but this is a team that's in 14th place.
4: Their attitude, their mentality is something they can fall back on in moments when um, when things don't go perfectly with with a ball, but it comes back to their, their superiority over almost every opponent and that's what I think carried them through in the end last night and um, and it has done on on other occasions recently. I mean, the, the Everton away game recently, I didn't, I didn't think they were at their best but they technically dominated that game and, and they showed the um, the steeliness to, to, to win as well. So, I don't think there's much that you can say is missing with Manchester City at the moment. Um, you could say, well, they could be getting more out of De Bruyne. You could even say they could be getting more out of David Silver and, and a couple of others because a few players' level has dipped a little bit over the last couple of months because of the volume of games and so on. But they are a pretty good nick and I wouldn't be looking at this game on Sunday thinking, oh, we'll look at all that vulnerability they showed on them um, on Wednesday night because, to me, they don't look very vulnerable.
5: They haven't needed to show much steeliness. I mean, they have most games wrapped up by half-time, certainly in the Premier League. Um, A couple of times in Europe, they've had late winners, including last night. But, I mean, I don't think there was too much of a problem. They were a bit sloppy in front of goal. Aguero, Sterling could have had goals earlier on, Uh, but... But the way they dominated with 10 men for the last quarter, you know, I mean, they were, it was incredibly impressive. There was no kind of uh, just sticking with what they've got or holding on for the draw or anything when they equalised. I mean, it was, I, I thought they were very impressive again.
2: Well, the League Cup could, of course, be the first major silverware of Maurizio Sarri's career or... Could it possibly be the end of his tenure at Chelsea? They were booed off after defeat to Manchester United in the FA Cup on Monday at Stamford Bridge. It is understood that senior figures at Chelsea have discussed Zari's future. Gab, what do you make of it all?
3: Well, I think uh, Gary Jacob reported that um, it's probably they're going to look at this, you know, in the course of the three games. The the Malmo game Thursday night, which will probably have taken place by the time uh, uh, most people listen to this. The League Cup final and the following Wednesday night, they play the Spurs end. at home. That's obviously a huge game because, A, it's Spurs and, B, if you lose that game and, you know, United and Arsenal get results, all of a sudden you move away from, from the top four finish. And the top four finish is, is Chelsea's objective. They, they need to be back in the Champions League next season. So that's probably how it's going to play out. I mean, my understanding is that they're going to wait. They're going to wait till then. Um, and then, if they have to get a replacement, put it this way: the names that are out there, to me, suggest that those are names put forward by people making educated guesses. Because to think that Chelsea, at this stage of the season, could go and you know, try to pluck Frank Lampard away from Derby County when you—I no, have no idea where they are on the table—but I'm assuming they're they're close to promotion or on or yeah, close to the playoffs or whatever. Um
5: yeah, just outside.
3: The um, and having to pay huge compensation to Mel Morris makes zero sense. This is something that they're pursuing right now. Zidane, equally, big-name, pragmatic manager, doesn't speak English, which seems to really bother people in this country. Why you would think that you could salvage a season by dropping him in there? You know, in the summer, maybe it's a different issue, but I think it's more likely that you have these three games and they would only make a change if they see the situation as completely degenerated and there's nothing left to salvage.
2: Well, Bill, they, they were certainly pretty lifeless for the majority of Monday night, weren't they? And Sarri described it as confused football.
5: Yeah, they were disappointing. Overall, if you look at the season overall in the league, they're heading for 73 points at the current rate. And Guardiola's first season at Man City, they got 78 points. I don't remember any discussion at all about whether Guardiola should get the push at uh, Man City he was really changing the the way they play and taking what seemed extraordinary risks passing around their own penalty area it it just seems at Chelsea there is a culture of managers going very quickly when things go wrong so players just naturally think oh well sorry you know he's probably going to be gone by the end of the season just because it's not going that well this is what's happened in the past fans know that there's a fair chance if they start complaining about Sari as they have been doing chanting against him, might well force Chelsea to act, prompt Chelsea to act and get rid of him. So there's this whole culture of, if you're a Chelsea player now, you wouldn't be thinking, um, all right, I've really got to, the next three, four years. Sari's going to be here. I really got to learn how to play his way. It's this way or nothing. Either either this way or I'm in the reserves or I'm I'm gone. You know, it's, it's the the attitude will be he'll be gone himself in a. A couple of months, so I could just kind of uh, stick around. I don't have to worry too much about changing myself.
4: Over the course of perhaps four or five years, you've seen that that Chelsea spirit and, and the players like, um, yeah, S- S- Ivanovic, even was a great competitor, and, and so on. I, I feel like it, you look at Chelsea now, and it's it's all a bit wishy washy, the same as most Premier League teams are, and it, you know they've got people like Galo Kante who's was a fantastic competitor, Aspel who's who you know, mis reliable, misconsistent, um, except when doing having to do things he, he's not comfortable with. But it's suddenly now a, a, a squad which doesn't have strong personalities. And I think strong personalities were one of the great advantages Chelsea have, have had over the last few years. Obviously maybe some managers felt that, that some of those personalities were too strong, but I'd say what Chelsea really lack is his personality in a different way, and something like did hazard, he seems to be, he seems to need to be led rather than be a leader on the pitch, in my opinion. Um, so, no, he's not going to have people try to bring him down behind his back or stab, stab him in the back, but there's a flip side to that, which means that I also don't think those players are, are really going to come together for him or Who knows? Maybe they would come together for another manager, but it's not even the same squad that that Conte had two seasons ago, is it? A lot of the sort of real competitors from that squad and Costa and Matic and people like that have, have gone and it all just seems a bit insipid at times.
0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
4: VoiceOver on settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
6: Books. Contacts. Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello?
2: One team that haven't been in action this week are Newcastle United. Ten days without a fixture has allowed Rafa Benitez and his side to regroup. George Colkin went to sunny Spain along with the Newcastle squad for their training camp. And he joins us now. Uh, George, for those that don't know, what sort of things go on then during a mid-season training camp?
7: Well, the most important thing is that Newcastle don't lose. So um, (laughs) that is very, very welcome. Um, And uh, well, it's... Really, it, it kind of in Rafa Benitez's training camps. Not very much happens, I have to say. I mean, certainly not not very much exciting. And it wasn't very sunny. I also have to say that. So, but it's they did this last year. They went, they flew to sort of Alicante, and then came down the coast a little bit. And there was a, a sort of a golf spa resort with training with a training ground attached to it. And it really just gives him a chance to take them away, freshen minds a little bit. Some days there are double training sessions, some days single training sessions, and really there's, there's nothing else around this place except a golf course. But it's a chance for him to do what he does best, which is work with players, repetition, repetition, repetition on the training camp, and then as well as that on this occasion there are a couple of new players to to sort of integrate into the squad they did have then have a friendly friendly game at the end of it but that was probably the least sort of important part of it but uh, they did the same thing in the same place last year and they came home and won three games in a row and that played a huge part in them getting out of relegation at the end of the season so i guess the the thinking is although personally i'd have much preferred them to have an, an FA cup fixture but the thinking is that hopefully the same sort of thing can happen and they do of course now have a very important run of fixtures.
3: How much of Almiron did you see?
7: There was one open training session so that, I mean and it wasn't, you know, not like it was a full practice match or anything like that so I don't want to sort of make sweeping sort of judgments and things like that but he's definitely added a level of what would you call it, sort of I don't know anticipation or excitement or given a boost to the squad I know that from speaking to, the, to some of the players when we were there, you know, it's lifted everybody, he he has pace, which Newcastle don't have enough of and there was certainly evidence of that in training and uh, he has a trick or two he can beat players, he can whip the ball in and it's precisely that kind of dash of pace and creativity that Newcastle have really badly needed, a kind of number 10 Sort of figure, you know, somebody who can help link midfield to attack. Rondón has, Solomon Rondón has 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 been a very good addition uh, this season on loan from West Brom. Even when he's sort of isolated, he excels at kind of keeping defenders busy. Um, but he needs a bit of help, and the idea is that Almirón will will provide that.
2: They are only a point above the relegation zone and suffered the blow of course of that ninety fifth minute equalizer against wolves. They have got some crucial games coming up first of all Huddersfield at home on Saturday, and then of course they've got Burnley as well, George
7: yeah, so it feels like a big feels like a big few i mean big in a little way, if you know what I mean, but um uh it does feel like a big like a big few days. I saw Huddersfield play Arsenal not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, and they looked pretty decent going forward. I mean, they looked awful at the back, so I guess that'll be where, you know, where Newcastle will sort of hope to take advantage. But the way it tends to be at St. James's is very nervy and attritional. You know, Newcastle aren't comfortable on the ball, you know, and sort of being being asked to sort of dictate games. They're they're better when they when they work hard off the ball and hit teams on the break. I'm not sure they'll get the chance to do that against Woodersfield. So so we'll see. I mean I think it's, it it has felt a bit like in recent weeks as if things are coming together a bit like they did in the second half of last season. You know, they're, obviously the victory over Man City was was uh was a huge lift to, to, to everybody so i mean hopefully hopefully they're on the right track
8: hi there and welcome to the sweeper which is the times is fantasy football tip service i'm charlie scott joined by paddy one hello and we're here to preview game week 27 and look further ahead because there is a confirmed blank game week now paddy
6: yeah well fa cup football happened as we know last weekend uh, we fantasy addicts um didn't get our fix but it does mean that uh, the fixed list is going to be turned uh, upside down in the coming week Game Week 31 is going to be uh, a big black game week obviously we've got one this week but it's only a small one uh, 31's going to involve only 10 of the 20 teams so um, that's coming up soon
8: Yeah and if you've got your chips left I mean most of you probably have all of them may have played a w- early wildcard after the Christmas break you're going to be thinking about when you want to play those uh, I think I personally might prepare for a potential double game week in 32 and plan to play a free hit then so the way i'm looking at it i'm going to prepare for the blank game weeks in game week 31 and 33 look at the teams that definitely have matches and good matches in those two blank game weeks and then play the free hit in between Some of those sites include Bournemouth, who are playing Newcastle, and Burnley at home. Who else have we got? And Liverpool have got Fulham and Southampton. So I think I will look at getting some players from there, and Leicester are a team who have got confirmed matches every week so far.
6: And some nice games coming up as well. So, you know, Ricardo Pereira is an obvious one. James Madison, maybe, someone like that. I think I'll go the other way, actually, and I'll probably plant a free hit in game week 31 on account of only having in my current squad three or four players who have games then so that's probably quite a good example between the two of us of your two different plans I think if you look at game week 31 uh, the 10 teams that have games uh, are Bournemouth, Burnley, Chelsea, Everton, Fulham, Huddersfield, Leicester, Liverpool, Newcastle and West Ham uh, because I've got so few of those I think I'm not going to worry about 31 I'm going to just carry on as usual and then I'm going to plan to free hit then uh, and then I can use all my chips as and when uh, the Blanks and the doubles come up after that
8: and just more short-termist game week 27 what jumps out to you
6: well there's not much is there you've got united playing liverpool uh city and chelsea don't have games i think what's going to happen is that not many people are going to be particularly happy with their teams um which is probably a good reason not to panic if your team looks bad most others do as well um which is probably a good reason not to jump into a free hit or i mean arsenal got slanton at home is obama back probably as i said Liverpool play united so those fixtures aren't great uh, West Ham have got a nice home game against Fulham, but how reliable are they? Uh, it's going to be tricky, I think. Yeah, I think, like you
8: said, West Ham, are home to Fulham, on outfit, should be back. Anson's looking good. Mm-hmm. They've got quite nice games as well. And Spurs, we might see the return of Harry Kane. Do
6: you well, think? exactly. But I mean, it's tough to. I mean, you wouldn't be advising you go straight in for him. Obviously, Burnley's quite a nice game, but they've got Chelsea, Arsenal, they've got a blank coming up. That means I might have to sell Paul old Laurenti, but uh, that's a different issue
8: for more of our tips sign up to the sweeper at the times.co.uk forward slash fancy football and you'll get an email from us tomorrow morning and for every game week or join our facebook group by searching for the sweeper
2: OK, it's time now for our weekly predictions game where we pick five games and try to predict the correct scoreline. I'm going to spare your blushes, Gab, by not mentioning the score by which I lead quite comfortably this season. Now, the games that we've gone for... I don't think
3: 16-14 is that comfortable a lead, Natalie, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> I don't know where you get these uh, numbers from. Anyhow, uh, the five that we've opted for this time around are all on Sunday. So we've got to start with the big one at Wembley. The Carabao Cup final, Chelsea against Manchester City.
3: Um, I don't think it's going to finish 6-0. I'm with you. But equally, I mean, I think this is where you need a reaction. They they can't keep all the eggs into Wednesday night against Spurs. So I'm going to go for the draw in 90 minutes. And I'm going to say 1-1.
2: Oh, okay. At full time. Interesting. I I think City just will be too strong. I'm going to go for a 3-1 City win.
3: All right. With bonus points if Sarri gets uh, sacked at <laughs> <laughs> the final whistle. Louis van <laughs> Gaal style. Strange. No,
2: <laughs> We will see.
3: Arsenal against uh, Southampton. Arsenal, you know, quietly, they're in the running for, for fourth place. I think this is a yeah. significant game against Ralf uh, Hasenhutl and uh, his uh, Sankton. Natalie?
2: I, I just think Arsenal will be too strong. I think both sides will score, but I'm going for a 2-1 win for Una Emery's side.
3: La Lacazette will be well-rested. I'm going to go 3-1 Arsenal.
2: We've discussed it already. The big game at Old Trafford. Manchester United taking on Liverpool. A chance for Jurgen Klopp's side to retake top spot.
3: St. Virgil van Dijk back <laughs> for uh, Liverpool. United are going to need a different performance than the one we saw, I think, um, against Chelsea on Monday where you know they did really, really well. But equally, I think they're going to need to be a little more proactive against Liverpool. Maybe this is the game where Salah regains his mojo. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go for the draw. 1-1. Oh,
2: well, I am actually going for a draw too, but I'm going to go for a Desmond.
3: 2-2. 2-2. There you go. A Desmond. Mm-hmm. I like that. Luton and Coventry. Yes. Coventry at one point were owned by a hedge fund. And um, Hedge Fund was actually run by this woman who went to the same university as I did. Oh. And she's part Finnish, part American. And that's where my Coventry knowledge (laughs) kind of runs out. And I know that Lars Elstrup used to play for Luton. Um, And that's it. (laughs) And Luton used to be managed by our our man, Nathan Jones. Indeed. And since leaving, people thought the sky was going to fall in. But it hasn't. They got even better. So actually, it was probably Nathan Jones holding them back. So I'm going to say Luton two, Coventry nil.
2: Oh, that's what I've gone for. How I have? <laughs> But of course, we should say Mick Harford now been given the role until the end of the season. He was caretaker manager. They set a club league record previously of going 20 games unbeaten. So looking to make that 21. Their last league defeat, October 13th. And finally, we're gonna, we picked a game in Germany. Borussia Dortmund taking on Leverkusen.
3: Yeah, Borussia Dortmund gegen Bayer Leverkusen. Um, I'm not sure if Marco Reus is going to be back for Borussia Dortmund, but he is absolutely huge. They, they had like everybody and their mother out against Spurs, which didn't help. That said, I think it's time for normal service to resume mm. in Dortmund. But what do you say? you're going to go first. I'm <laughs> yes. not going to tell okay. you my scoreline. No,
2: that's fine. Uh, yes, Borussia Dortmund unbeaten in their last six in the league. In fact, they haven't lost at home this season in the league either.
3: Yeah, but that game where they're 3-0 up and it finishes 3-3, that definitely felt like a loss. Uh,
2: Yes, I get what you're saying. But I still think they're going to score three, but it's going to be a 3-1 win for them.
3: Against Leverkusen. Yes. All right. Well, I also have them winning. I'm going to say 2-0. 2-0.
2: Just time for the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. We asked, Premier League pitches are required to be 105 metres by 68 metres unless the stadium is too small to allow for that size of pitch. Name the five current Premier League clubs whose pitches are smaller than the standard size. We came up with five that we thought was plausible. I think
3: they plausible. Yeah. I think from, from memory, I think we had Everton, Burnley, uh, Bournemouth, yeah. Fulham and Palace.
2: Yes. Let's see, Bill. Reveal all.
5: Firstly, yes, you're, you're right to exclude new grounds uh, that clubs have moved into in the last 20 or so years. Sorry, uh, West Ham. Yep. But you got, you got three out of five. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, the three you got were Everton, Fulham and Crystal Palace. <gasps> but the other two, um, also in Merseyside, Liverpool... Not
3: possible. Liverpool's that?
5: is one 101 meters by 68 meters, so it's four meters sh- shorter than the standard size. And the other one is uh, Chelsea. They're 103 meters by 67 and a half meters, so they're two wow. meters short lengthwise and half a meter short wise. You know, you, m- you might think, oh, this is just a uh, kind of a tiny bit of space, it doesn't really matter that much, but Fulham's is 100 metres by 65 metres, and that's only 91% of the size of a normal pitch, so a tenth less, it's quite
3: That's quite, well, probably uh, why they sign Jean-Michel Seri because he's 90% yeah, of a normal a human.
5: Yeah, but then one, one final point, there's one club which has got a pitch uh, It's too big, it's in the cricket ground Too big, so too stop big. Yeah. No, it's one of the 20. And it's Huddersfield. They're, it's 106 metres by 68 well, metres.
0: Why is
3: that no, I don't get it. And this applies to Chelsea as well, because they rebuilt, except for the East End, they rebuilt the other three sides in the last 20 years. Hmm. You're spending all this money to build a stadium. So the Premier League already existed back then, because of course football was invented in 1992. So why not turn it into a proper pitch?
5: Um, it did seem a bit odd, because it's there in the official Premier League handbook, so phone. I wondered if it was a mistake. I phoned Huddersfield. No, that, that's correct. 106 by 68 instead of 105 but did by you, you
3: rang them up and they <laughs> you know, said well, just to make they, they sent somebody
6: out with some Yeah, tape. and I I took it.
5: it took ages to confirm that yes, that was correct. About a week but despite uh, them looking into it for a long time, they couldn't, we weren't able to come up with the, the actual reason why. Uh, the, the, the guy I spoke to, speculated it might be something to do with the fact they have rugby league there and somehow it ties in, I don't know, it's Better for the rugby league pitch.
3: I wonder if but that's the real know. reason they're getting relegated. The Premier League says, uh oh, we can't have this.
2: <laughs> this extra meter will not do. Exactly. Oh that was good though and by the way Fulham is that the smallest is that what you Yes,
3: yeah, Fulham is the
2: smallest right right wow well, uh, well that is it for now many thanks to our guests today Bill Edgar Ollie Kay, and George Colkin.
3: remember you can subscribe to the Times and you also get this Sunday Times as a special bonus and you'll enjoy award winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet it'll cost you just one pound a week for an eight week trial all you have to do is search the Times subscription for more information
2: and we'll be back on Monday before a full set of midweek Premier League fixtures including Gab
3: Chelsea versus Spurs
7: The game is brought to you by The Times for more information and more podcasts from The Times head to thetimes.co.uk As
0: you're listening to me Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.